0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Hi, this is Marion Nessel. I'm the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University and a longtime fan of Heritage Radio. Like Marion, you too can support Heritage Radio Network, a member-based, nonprofit radio station operating out of Bushwick, Brooklyn. I've been on it countless times. I love being interviewed. The interviewers are always really well-prepared and fun to talk to about the issues that matter to me the most, uh, about how we can change our food system to one that's healthier for people and the environment. It's just invaluable to have an independent radio station that's dealing with these issues. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful asset. Support Heritage Radio Network by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate.
2: Today's program was brought to you by Itoen, the leading green tea company and makers of Oi Ocha, Japan's number one selling green tea. For more information, visit itoen.com.
3: This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
4: Hello, oh, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese culinary academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are both Kenski Live Promot Studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, and izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And I have a very special guest today from Japan, and his name is um, Everett Kennedy Brown, who is a photographer, journalist, and author based in Japan, where he has lived for the last 28 years. He's also an advisory panel member of the Japanese Ministry of Economy, Trade, and Industry, which is a government advisory council to explore ways to boost uh, Japanese economic growth through promoting cultural industries and he is the co-owner of Brownsfield which is a holistic organic farm retreat located 40 miles east of Tokyo in the Bozo Peninsula. So today we'll discuss what Everett discovered in Japan uh, in Japanese culture for the last 28 years and what his life is like on organic farm retreat and much more. So hello Everett, welcome to Japanese.
3: Hi, Akiko. It's very happy. I'm very happy to be here today.
4: Thank you. So uh, you're mm-hmm. from Washington, D.C. and have lived mm-hmm. in Japan since 1988. Yes. So mm-hmm. why did you decide to go to Japan and live there?
3: Well, as a photojournalist, when I was in my 20s, I was often going to Japan to do stories. And I had, had such great experiences there that uh, I fell in love with the country mm-hmm. and decided to marry it.
4: Okay. And, you know, I heard you've been traveling really a lot of places, including different places of Asia, right? Yes. So, but wh- why Japan has a place to
3: live? Well, you know, whenever I went into the countryside, I was just having these mind-blowing experiences, meeting great people, mm. stepping back into time mm. in, in, in many ways, and... And I just felt so comfortable in Japan, mm. the landscape, the people.
4: Right. The, so that's interesting that uh, you said uh, Japanese people tend to emphasize on tradition compared mm, to other countries.
3: Yes. But at the same time, it's the leading edge mm. in a lot of technology, right. uh, with cuisine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like if, if I want to eat the best Italian meal, mm. My choice is in Tokyo. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I heard that. I heard that from my Italian chef from Italy. <laughs> sure. Yeah.
3: Do you know? Do you know why? No. Nope. Because the sous chefs in most of the Michelin restaurants in Europe are Japanese, hmm. and and it it's very much a part of the, the Japanese craftsman mentality hmm. to steal the secrets of your master. Right. And so they go to Europe. They. Get themselves into the best restaurants in mm. Europe, and they're very humble, very quiet, very watching, mm. and They steal the secrets of of Europe's best chefs. And the chefs are happy because they've got these Japanese uh, sous chefs that are making the meals just as they want them to be made.
4: Mm. Right, because Mm. the attitude is not to ask questions and told the answers. They have to really see the master's movement and they have to steal. That's the only way to learn.
3: Exactly. Because what happens with a lot of American chefs or or European chefs, Mm. especially Young high-end chefs mm. is they want to make their mark,
1: mm.
3: and and often their their taste, their sensibility
1: mm.
3: interferes with those of of the, the master chefs in the restaurant.
4: Right, right. Mm. So I think the attitude of the Japanese young people, like mm. chefs in France or Paris or in Italy, I think. It is a respect to tradition. Tradition is something yes. always, mm. already perfected. Yes. So you yeah. don't want to mess with it.
3: Yeah. And so, you know, they, they come back to Japan. They've, they've, they've been able to master the flavors that they learned in Europe. Mm. And then they have this idealized vision of, you know, French cuisine or Italian cuisine. Mm. And then they make it their own.
1: Right.
3: Yeah. Okay.
4: And, uh, well, let's go back to your... Um, job. So, you know, you, um, well, you worked as a photographer, but uh, at college you didn't study. Uh, you imagine foreign civilizations and literatures, but not photography. So how did you learn taking
3: pictures? <clears throat> well, actually, when I graduated from high school, I, I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to come straight to New York hmm. and uh, get into some studio and, uh, and learn the trade. But, um, you know, I was talking with my father. He was a Presbyterian minister, conservative, Mm -hmm. and uh, he recommended some interesting colleges to go to. And he said, go, get an education and then do what you want to do. And uh, so I I found uh, a college called Antioch College in Ohio that had this work study program. You're on campus half the year, and then you're traveling half the year. And this was perfect for me right. because I mean it gave me the opportunity to see the world mm. and to study the things I wanted to do, to read the books I wanted to read.
4: Mm. So you picked a camera as a kind of medium to see the world.
3: Yeah. But, you know, I, I've been a professional photographer since the age of 14. Mm. I first picked up a camera when I was 11. Oh, wow. And... Uh, just, just holding a camera. It just, I, I became electrified. I, hmm. I, I saw the world in a, in a, in a different way. Interesting. And so, I mean, since I was a child, it, it's always been my passion.
4: Okay. Well, we'll we talk about your art, you know, photographic art later. Mm. But so that means uh, the camera can can capture something you don't see with your eyes or something deeper. Yeah, the camera. You know, it allows
3: us to focus. Hmm. To. really to pay attention to detail Mm. that we usually don't and um, so um, I used the camera to see the world Mm, interesting Um,
4: so and in 2003 I mean you went to Japan and then you did a lot of different things Um, I think you started working for major publishers right as a photographer like photojournalist so how, you know, how did you find a job and how, how, how did it happen?
3: Yeah, well actually it, it's, it's very interesting um, I um, in, the, in the 1980s mm. I was living in Bangkok working as a photojournalist and uh, had a Japanese girlfriend I was studying uh, Japanese in Bangkok mm. and I, I met one of Japan's leading photojournalists at the time and he had a um, an agency.
1: Mm. He
3: and his buddies started up an agency, and they invited me to come to Tokyo and join their agency. Mm. And uh, this was in the eighties. The, you know, the, the industry was booming, mm. and um, I had been to Japan before on assignments, and, and loved the country, mm. loved the food, loved the people. So it was, yeah, yeah, I, I I moved in 1988.
4: <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that's how I got a job, and then you worked for. Um, major publishers right so um, and also you wrote a lot of books so far why do you are with them
3: yeah well you know because of my connections with the uh, the publishers and with editors Mm. um, they they like my photos but um, you know we go out drinking Mm -hmm. at night and uh, uh, and they they like my ideas Mm -hmm. and so they started asking me to write and, I, you know, I did a few magazine series and, um, and then, oh yeah, um, right before the uh, 2002 uh, World Cup mm. in Japan, uh, actually it was 19, 1998 this was happening, but the world, you know, all the preparations for the World Cup were coming up. And I had been uh, photographing and interviewing um, professional soccer players. Mm. Uh, who were working in Japan. that came from all over the world. And um, one of the players was uh, the. Um, he, he, had, he, had, he had been the, the captain of the uh, the Brazilian uh, soccer team Dunga, mm. And uh, I went to his house and uh, we spent an afternoon talking. And he took this box out, this big old wooden box, mm. and out of the box he, he took out this samurai helmet <laughs> and put it on his head. And and I got a photograph of that. Mm. And when the editors saw that, they said, "Okay, we got to do a book. This is fantastic." Wow. Um, Because in Japan, you know, people are looking at uh, foreign professional athletes. It's coming to Japan for the money. Mm. But like a lot of these guys they were They were in love with the culture. they were in love with the samurai spirit. This is why Dunga you know had this this whole samurai outfit mm. because it was it was a part of his spirit.
4: Right. it's like uh, martial arts. it's more like yeah. discipline and much deeper than this physical training
3: yes right. yes yeah and uh, and a lot of professional athletes were coming to Japan to uh to get more in touch with that mm. and so um that was my first book
4: okay not um, uh the Oretachi no Nippon? I don't know that's right. okay, what's the uh, English name?
3: What it touching upon is... Uh, well, ordi is kind of a cocky way of saying
1: mm-hmm.
3: me or, or us. Right. And so it's our Japan. Mm. And so uh, it was uh, photographs and interviews with uh, 11 of the, the leading uh, 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 foreign professional athletes. Okay,
4: so our means non-Japanese, our
3: yeah, athletes. Yes, yeah. Wow. Because, I mean, they... You know, in, in Japan people don't really appreciate their, their samurai culture mm. as much as, as we do in the West. Right, because no, it's, it's kind
4: of half-forgotten after generations. and yeah, I mean, only seen movies, yeah, yeah. like very exaggerated way, yeah. and people remember like bloody cutting people and that right. kind of thing. <laughs> right?
3: <laughs> yeah, something from the past. Mm. Yeah.
4: Okay, so these uh, athletes really saw it as living spirits.
3: They were living it, mm. yeah.
4: Okay, I think I have to read that. <laughs> I kind of forgot about it, usually, right? So, okay. So, uh, so that was the main message for your book, Of Ore Tachi no Nippon. Yes. Um, what else did you write?
3: Well, so that, that was published in 1999, and then um, about that same time, there is this interesting fashion phenomenon going on in Tokyo, especially in the Harajuku fashion district, <laughs> yeah. called Ganguro Girls,
1: okay.
3: Blackface Girls, mm. and uh, I mean media from all over the world are just really picking up on this.
4: Okay, a little bit of the Harajuku. Uh, if you don't know, listeners, it's a uh, it's main part of like one of the cultural pop culture, you know, like uh, oh, it's a ground zero.
3: Yeah. Place. What's 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 the equivalent in, in, in New York?
4: Um, I don't know. Maybe East Village. Yeah, yeah, like, maybe,
3: maybe. Right. It's right. kind
4: of like not sophisticated way, but you know, like cute things yeah. made it into some like uh, I wouldn't say dirty, but some complicated, you know, like underground cultural thing, mixed
1: yeah. with...
3: Well, there's a lot. It's it's really like a kaleidoscope. I mean, there are right. lots lots of lots of different elements of youth culture. Mm. But this black um, this blackface girls phenomena was getting a lot of world attention. Mm. And so a German publisher um, contacted me about uh, doing a, a, a series of portraits of these girls. Mm. And uh, I, I, that was fun. <laughs> wow.
4: <laughs> yeah, so it's like the moment that's like a snapshot of what's happening, as uh, cultural phenomena.
3: Yeah, I mean, that, that really was the, um, what was going on in the, uh, around 2000, 2001, mm. 2002. And what was interesting was that the Japanese media were, like, really looking down on on, on these girls as, as mm. sort of a, you know, kind of an immature um, uh, youth culture. Mm. Um, but in... In my book, what I was, te- was saying was that, in fact, no, these girls were actually mm. preserving a lot of aspects of Japanese traditional culture. Huh. They had basically created their own tribe. Mm. And you know, I interviewed, I interviewed uh, over 90 of these girls, and it was amazing some of the things that they said. They said it was like, you know, in modern Japan, mm. there, aren't, there aren't festivals like there used to be. So oh, the reason we paint our faces black is because we want to have festivals in our life. Interesting. And um, yeah, it's um, it's actually a very interesting phenomenon. It's sort mm. of this 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 very old current of Japanese cultural energy that just popped up mm. in the uh, the center of uh, Tokyo's youth district.
1: Right. So
4: what missing is found in youth culture? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you should pay attention to what's, you know, maybe it looks crazy, but there are some hidden messages underneath.
3: That's it. That's it. And so these ideas um, got a lot of attention Mm. uh, in in, in Japan because, um, you know, the leading social critics anthropologists and all hadn't picked up on it Mm. and um so it was it was fresh and it made sense and so from that i I started doing more and more writing Mm. and uh and that that was actually the um probably the major factor that um i i was approached by uh, one of japan's leading um intellectuals uh, mm. called Matsuka Seigo mm-hmm. and uh, and he wanted to do a, a book of dialogues with me mm. and uh, and that became uh, our book um, Japanese Power or mm. Japanese Nihon no Ryoku mm. and uh, and that book was very successful.
4: Right. Mm. So maybe you are really um, the meat in a way medium to reflect what's happening objectively you're you able to observe what's happening in Japan with insight, so that's why...
3: Well, you know, my, my background is photography. Um, you know, I try to look at things in a different light. Mm. And, um, and I've, I've just had a lot of experience in Japan, so mm. um, over the time, I've been able to develop a, a fresh perspective
4: right well mm-hmm. speaking of uh, in 2003 you started working for european uh, press photo agency
3: yes
4: and uh, which is or e- epa which is an international news photo agency yes. with global network over 400 professional photographers and your title was the chief photographer of japan so what did you do at the epa
3: well they, they approached me because they wanted to open up an office in tokyo and uh, it had to be an established photojournalist someone who could speak English and Japanese Mm. and um, I you know it was was chief photographer work it was also um, being the bureau chief Uh, and I I, honestly I wasn't sure that I was into um, spending too much time in an office Mm. and uh, and managing a a company Mm. Um, but um, yeah, it sounded like a new opportunity, and, um, and an opportunity to see parts of Japan that I hadn't before. Mm-hmm. So I set up the office, um, established all of our credentials with like the Prime Minister's office, mm-hmm. and the, the uh, Imperial Palace and whatnot, and uh, got a team of photographers. and. Um, had an amazing ride for nine years mm. doing that, Mark.
4: And uh, your work appeared in most major global media, including National, Geographic, Time, Newsweek, Le Monde, New York Times, all major mediums. So, yeah, sure. right. Okay, so. um what is the most memorable experience while you were at uh, the agency?
3: Oh my God! <laughs> well, one or two. <laughs> um, I mean, it, a number of things come to mind. Um, well, spending um, all day with George Clooney.
4: Wow! What was he doing um,
3: there? <laughs> he was he was doing a, um, it was an advertising campaign actually with a, with a, uh, a watch company mm-hmm. and. Uh, I've been hired to uh, um, go around with him and uh, um, and photograph him mm. uh, um, doing different things. Actually, uh, we we did it several times. Um, well, also, like meeting the emperor. Okay. Um, but I think I think what I, what I what, you know when I left the agency, the thing that I, I realized that I'm never going to be able to do again. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I might be able to meet George Clooney again or, oh, or yeah. the Emperor, but something I probably will never be able to do again was uh, ride on the Prime Minister's airplane. Okay. And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was that was cool. You know, I enjoyed that because uh, whenever we'd go somewhere on the uh, on the way back. Mm-hmm. Um, We'd be invited up to the front of the plane, right. and uh, and there was sort of like like a, a suite area right, mm-hmm. where where uh, the prime minister would meet people, and right. uh, and we'd sit down with him and,
4: mm. and, so, ch- and chat. And, right. So it's yeah. like uh, is a very special, like you know, they change the attitude. It's a very secure and secretive place, so it's a very special environment. Right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Very special. Mm. And. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, in Japanese, it was really kind of the feeling, <laughs> <laughs> It was
1: like,
4: my heart pumping. Right.
3: Uh, yeah, but I mean, really feeling, you know, of going into the inner sanctum. Right. Um, because um, I mean, you know, I, I I'd spend a lot of time in the prime minister's office, mm-hmm. you know, you know, like, you know, like the White House, right. but but it's different on the plane. It's you know? totally
4: exclusive. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but I'm curious about the emperor. So he's mm. he's just he's like very hidden figure. Yes. Like secret. Mm. I mean, compared to British, you know, system, I think Japanese imperial system is very. Um, Preserved, preserved, or protected by media too. eh? yeah,
3: so. I think overprotected actually, mm. because he is very hot. Ha- he and and uh, and the empress are very heartfelt people, mm. and um, and I wish that more and more people knew mm. about the things that they do and and for the country. Mm. Well, I shouldn't say for the country, but for the people, right. for the Japanese mm.
4: people, in more not directly into the politics, but it's more sort of a uh, image or cultural,
3: emotional, spiritual, spiritual,
4: right? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Somebody has to say that. Maybe you can say that more because Japanese people are not allowed to say it.
3: Yeah, well, I, I've thought about it. I've thought about it because, um, you know, for example, in, in two thousand and eleven, during the uh, tsunami and
1: and. Mm. Uh,
3: the crisis involved with that, around that. Um, the emperor and empress were eating very, very simply
1: mm.
3: because there were people up in the Tohoku region that were suffering without food. Right. And how could they eat splendidly
1: mm. if,
3: if their people mm. were suffering?
1: Right.
3: And they spent a lot of time praying. Mm. Uh, I mean, but By the way, I mean, the empress is Christian.
1: Oh
4: yeah, and I didn't so, know that. Why, right out of why, why, why? Yes. So Michiko, right? She went to a Catholic college, and why
3: Yeah. So it's um, uh, what they do is wonderful.
4: Mm, wow. I wish I could know more about them. like Because I think it's not going to be. You know, the system is not going to be abolished. But you have to understand to. Well, to preserve it too,
3: yeah. Right. And actually, I, I think it's really important. I mean, it's a very delicate issue in Japan. But uh, you know, there's a growing mood of nationalism in the country, mm. and um, and this is not good. Right. Mean, I really, I really think that rather than nationalism, patriotism is mm. more um, something that should be. Promoted and cultivated so that people have a heartfelt Mm. love of the country and not an idealistic. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: Right. uh, So, nationalistic uh, means more politics and the military actions involved, but the patriotism is more genuinely spiritual and love for the country.
3: That's really where Japan's strength is. Mm. Right.
4: Okay. And uh, so, you left the agency in 2012 after nine years of work there. Uh, so, what's your main activity now since then?
3: Well, my experience with the um, tsunami, mm. the um, and everything that followed after mm. that
4: five years ago,
3: really shifted my my view on on Japan, mm. on the media and also about my role and what, what I should be doing. Mm. And um, I had been doing my personal work using okay. a 19th century uh, photographic process called wet plate collodion photography. Mm. I love it because it's it, it goes beyond photography. It's very much like a potter using glazes. Mm. And um, this might be a bit difficult to explain on the radio, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but um, when I, when I take a photograph with this process, the negative, the glass negative, is wet, mm-hmm. and so I can I can manipulate like. the uh, the negative while it's wet okay. to create lots of different effects, like like a potter uses glazes. Mm-hmm. And I felt that this this process was most suitable mm. to photographing and articulating the the deep sensibility of Japan, mm. and and I, I, I felt a calling for my for my time in the, in the Tohoku region okay to start documenting mm. Japan like. in this process
4: mm. okay, so we're gonna uh, talk more about that specific technique that you use because I think it's mm. really fascinating um so before that, let me ask you this question so you've been invited to give lectures and televisions and you know uh, written essays and books in Japanese too so um what kind of lectures and TV programs have you done, and why do you think uh, people
3: came to you to be uh, to to be there? Oh. <laughs> well, I, I suppose, you know, having having been a photojournalist, I've been able to see just so many different walks of life, mm. and you know, go behind doors that you usually can't go behind.
4: Mm. And like a so uh, prime minister's airplane
3: yeah or or to go to these <laughs> these um ancient rituals at midnight oh. at at uh, at Japan's Ise shrine the grand shrine mm. um going with um 17th generation no performers deep into the mountains mm. to do rituals at waterfalls it's it's just i I've, I've seen Mm. A lot of Japan, right. and uh, people like want to hear the stories. Right. Yeah.
4: Okay. Because you are interested, like you know, um, as Japanese grew up, and then you tend to overlook what's precious. Mm. Right. Okay. And um, and you also work as an adv- advisory panel member, of the Japanese Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry. So, that means you, what kind of advice do they ask you for?
3: Well, this all came about after the publication of uh, my book, uh, Japanese Power. Mm. Um, It was read quite a bit by politicians, cultural and uh, economic leaders. Mm. And um, at the time, ministry of trade was developing this cool japan agenda mm. and so they asked me to be one of the members of the cool japan council
4: right. cool japan is uh, promotional activities with a lot of budget by the japanese government to appeal how special japan is yes, overseas. yes. Right.
3: And, and the main focus of this is on on manga animation mm. uh, music entertainment um, and uh i came in, you know, to give ideas about how to promote Japan, uh, also with tourism. Mm. For example, Japan's national uh, tourism campaign, uh, the slogan is uh, Japan, the land of endless discovery.
1: Mm.
3: This is actually a term that I, I suggested. Okay. Because uh, this was my experience. Right. I mean, I mean even now, every month, mm. I, I discover a new aspect of the country that I, I never imagined mm. existed. So, I mean, for me, it's just, it's an ongoing wow. journey of discovery. Of that 28
4: years, keeps discovering.
3: And it keeps going, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I was doing that, and um, and then, you know, mo- moving on, you know, I was also right after uh, 2011, the prime minister's office called me in to help mm-hmm. with, um, um, PR strategy, Mm. um, after the tsunami, and uh, so that led to me uh, having a photographic exhibition at the uh, the, uh, World Economic Forum uh, Davos meetings.
4: Mm. Ah, Fantastic. I don't think you imagined you'd be like in that position 28 years ago. So that's amazing.
3: Neither did I. (laughs) But I tell you, I'm I'm most comfortable on the farm. though.
4: Okay. All right. So um, we'll we'll take a quick break here. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about Everett's farm retreat. So uh, please stay with us.
2: ito the leading green tea company and makers of Oi-ocha, Japan's number one selling green tea, offers an array of award-winning ready-to-drink teas, premium tea leaves, tea bags, and antioxidant matcha powder. From the refreshing taste of tea's tea, brewed with only the purest of teas, to matcha love taking a modern take on an ancient ritual, ito celebrates the authentic tastes of Japan with their 50-plus years of tea-making expertise. For a natural energy boost, try Sencha Shot, packed with healthy catechins and vitamin C. Do visit the Matcha Love store in the Mitsua Marketplace located in Edgewater, New Jersey, for their signature matcha ice cream and shakes. Hoji and black sesame are also a must. With a selection of delicious teas, teaware, and gift sets, Matcha Love by Itoen is not to be missed. For more information, visit itoen.com.
4: Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from our studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Everett Kennedy Brown, who is a photojournalist and author based in Japan, where he has lived for the last 28 years. Um, I watched your brilliant 2014 TEDx talk in Kyoto called Focusing New Light on Memory. And it was truly really inspiring, and I threw out the message. It was, uh, I thought it was universal, too. So um, I'll post a link uh, to the talk on your on the show page, but could you mm, tell okay, us uh, okay, briefly okay. what it's about?
3: Well, <clears throat> it's kind of heavy. <laughs> but, okay. um, you know, in our modern age, we have this concept of time as being linear,
1: mm.
3: you know, the, the past, present, and the future. Right. But physics tells us that actually that... The past, the present, and the future are actually coexistent, hmm. but it's something that in our daily lives we don't experience. And so, I, you know, I, I've been thinking about this for a long time, and um, and what I was, what I've I've experienced in Japan, especially among traditional uh, artists, is that they are channeling, you could say. Ancient cultural currents of energy mm. um, these energies, though they originated in the past, mm. they still exist now for most people you know they think it's it 's ancient it 's gone it 's forgotten but japan 's best mm. artists are actually bringing these energies up out of their subconscious out of you could say out of the earth under their feet mm. and I've been wanting to articulate that mm. through my photography.
4: Right. So, in other words, uh, the past is flowing into our current life, That's and right. then you are bringing it to somewhere visible, yes. so that we can be aware and appreciate how precious that is. Yeah. Well,
3: I mean, I mean, you know, America's great uh, novelist William Faulkner. He said, you know, the, the past is not dead. It's not even past. Mm. It's with us. Right. And and it's living through us. Mm. And in our modern age, we we forget about this. We become insensitive to it. Mm. And so I, I'm trying to revive this this awareness, this sensitivity. Right. And so I'm working with with uh, uh, Japanese creative people mm. to bring the sensibility back right. into our awareness.
4: Okay. And then, you know, before the break, you mentioned your special technique to take pictures. Yes. That's uh, the way to actually practice uh, your message of the TikTok, yes. yes. right? And uh, so the technique is uh, called uh, Shpankoga. Uh, what is Shpankoga and uh, why do you use it?
3: Okay. Well, simply put in in English it's called the uh, wet plate collodion mm-hmm. photography. Mm. Um, it's using glass plates. It's based on a 19th century technique. Mm-hmm. No, but but, we just, we just but, made
4: it in England.
3: Yes, that's but. right, yeah. But, but what, I'm, what I'm interested in is not nostalgia. Mm. I'm only using the technique because it seems most appri- appropriate mm. for articulating uh, these, these Japanese cultural energies, mm. the tonality the the long exposures. Mm. Um, so, how long is effective. exposure? Well, if I'm photographing, say, inside the studio, we'd be looking at maybe uh, ten to twenty minutes. Wow! <laughs> yeah, and um, one one of the major concepts in my in my work is that there are memories that are hidden in the landscape, mm. hidden in the atmosphere, right? And so, I'm using this technique to draw these memories forward mm. and um, I, I have fun with it I, I um, um, have dialogues with people from the past mm. asking for their cooperation I mean you know you could say this is crazy but it, it, in in one sense it's a way to establish a, a Communication with the subconscious, mm. communication with the um, unseen forces right. around us. And the long exposures are a way to to capture this, this, this ambience that mm. uh, that lingers in places, especially historical places.
4: Okay. Yes. So the so the first of all the you know the technique that's the wet film, right? So why is it effective to express the past appears in the
3: current time? Well to put it simply, when you look at the photograph, it looks like an antique photograph Mm. but it's actually the present Okay. and so simply put, you can say that even though it looks like history, it is the present. And this is also one of the messages that I'm wanting to convey, mm. is that the history is not the past. Right. That each of us, with our own lives, we're creating history, mm. whether we're aware of it or not. Right. Of course, you know, we're creating our personal history, and our family history, mm. and some people are creating, you know, history for their communities, or, or even on, on a larger scale. Right. And so, I... and. Especially with, with my audiences uh, in, in Japan, mm. they feel this okay they feel a sense of connection mm. with the past and with the future
4: I, I think the one of the subject was uh, you know um, descendant of a samurai family from centuries ago
3: right right I'm, I'm doing a series of um, Japanese uh, samurai descendants, uh, Japanese aristocrats mm. I mean people that have a a family heritage that goes back seventy-seven generations. That's mm. <laughs>
4: unthinkable. <laughs> over
3: a thousand years. Right. And these people—they're—they're they're embodying this, this mm. heritage.
1: And—and
3: right. and the exposures that I use are—you uh, know—you know, regular camera. You know, it takes a photograph in like a hundredth of a second or something.
1: Mm.
3: Uh, in, in the case of collodion, it's sometimes ten seconds or more. Right. And so. Um you can see it in the eyes with these people this step this this connection with the past
1: mm.
4: okay, so I'm gonna put up uh, a link to your photos on the show page too so that uh, okay. uh, listeners can see it because it's amazing right so okay and uh now so you opened the bronze field uh your organic from retreat right. in 1999, right. uh, with your wife and cookbook author, uh, Deko Nakajima. So first of all, how did you meet Deco? Uh
3: Well, it's not a very interesting story. We, we met at a friend's house and had a great dinner together. Um, and uh, when it was time to leave, we, we discovered that we lived in the same neighborhood. So... Um, we went home together.
4: That's nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's very romantic. <laughs> so um, it was destiny, definitely. Right. Mm. Wow. So the what is Brunsfield, and why did you open it?
3: Well, there are a number of reasons that we opened it. One was that um, we were living in, in the center of Tokyo. We had five kids. Mm. Uh, we needed space. Hi. And uh, so we have been looking to move out to the countryside, um, but on a, on a personal level as well, um, I I really felt that in order to really understand Japanese culture, mm. that uh, it was important to um, to grow rice. Okay. To actually to get out in the rice fields, mm. to plant rice, to harvest rice, and to feel that whole annual process. Mm. Of Japanese agriculture, because so many of the traditions mm. in Japan are are based around the agricultural right. culture.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, actually, when I grew up, uh, I really grew up in uh, like it was in Tokyo, but in the mm. suburb. And then um, you know there were some of festivals or you know yes. the festivals and harvest festivals. There's always around rice.
3: Yeah, it's, most of them are harvest festivals. Right, yeah. and
4: also they we say uh, in each. Every grain of rice, there's a god in it, so yes. you can't leave on your ball. You
3: have to finish it. Yes, right. Yeah, That's it's it um, it it really when you when you explore this, you see that that Japanese food is not just about taste. That mm. there's this very deep dimension to it. That uh, that really you know it, it has a, a very long spiritual heritage. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm.
4: Okay, so um, so the, the Brownsfield is a cafe, inn, an event space, as well as a school of sustainability. So maybe you can tell us more about it.
3: Well, it's called Brownsfield. We started out with one farmhouse and uh, a couple of acres of land. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the past 17 years, it's expanded to four houses now.
4: Mm, oh, wow.
3: <laughs> and um, and we, we grow over a ton of rice each year mm. um we're, we're very much into fermented foods okay and uh so like uh,
4: um, miso soy
3: yeah uh, we make our own miso we make our own soy sauce mm. uh we make our own vinegar um we uh make our own um, koji mm. and uh, uh, how, how do you say koji in, in koji
4: english mold, um,
3: it's kind of a malt it's a yeah. Yeah, koji mold yes yeah
4: right so it's just an enzyme to break things down.
3: Yeah, right. yeah. And, you know, we even we make our own sake as well. No, oh, wow. Mm. So it's not, not so difficult,
4: actually. <laughs> well, to make it right. Um,
3: or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not so difficult. Mm. I, I wonder if there's anyone doing that here in, in New York.
4: Um,
3: Have you encountered anyone?
4: Well, there is a, a new sake brewer mm. in, from oh, really? Boston, oh. and I, I tasted his sake. It's amazing. Wow! Yeah, and the Japanese brewers tasted sake. Ah, it was okay. It can, I, can
3: I get it? Can I get it here in? in, in uh, yeah, new York?
4: I send an information.
3: Beautiful. Right. So maybe, it's dovetail sake. Think we can go after the show. Oh
4: yeah, <laughs> sure. Okay, certainly. Um, so the yeah. So do you have a cafe? Right? What kind of food do you serve at cafe?
3: Well. Um, it's very much slow food. That's very much part of our, our philosophy. Mm. Um, most of everything is grown on the farm, but um, in in our area, we have some of the best um, organic farmers in Japan. Mm. Uh, the Isumi area around the farm is becoming a, um, a major region for uh, cheese production. Oh, wow. Um, they're amazing. I mean, young people are, are just really making revolutionary Mm. new cheeses Um, and they're they're integrating you know the European techniques with um, uh, Japanese traditional fermentation techniques to come up with with completely new flavors
4: right oh wow that's the new way to ferment I mean fermentation I think globally it's becoming more popular it's healthy and it's more fun I didn't know that it's happening in Japan that's that form
3: yeah it's really exciting and i 'm mm. uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll be able to see a lot more of this as well and and also another thing that we 're doing is uh, we 're reviving a lot of the traditional foods that had been forgotten mm-hmm. uh, you, you know one hundred and fifty years ago during the Meiji period, you know, a lot of Japan became westernized and and the food culture changed mm-hmm. and so we're we 're looking at what what kind of food was around before that time mm. and find ways to revive it and to improve upon it.
4: Mm. Right. So maybe uh, that's a natural um, movement. Like even in New York, you know, people more vegetarian and vegan. There's a major restaurant, also mm-hmm. like homemade, homemade everything.
3: Yeah. So. Well, you know, I mean, Japanese traditionally were pretty much vegan. hmm
4: Right. And before Meiji, we don't need We're
3: not allowed to eat meat. Even. Right, right. And I mean, think about it. The samurai, they were vegan.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. The rice was the source of energy. Yeah. Actually. Right.
3: Rice, salted plums. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of energy out of those. Right.
4: And you serve uh, the whole grain. Yes. Rice. That's important. Right. So the uh, brown field is available to anyone. Our listeners can go, and then.
3: Sure. I mean, we have. Uh, Wonderful country inn that's open uh, just just on the weekends—Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a country inn that uh, is beautiful. It's this is this is where where Decca, my wife, um, mm. um, it's it's her show place for okay. her her food, and she's doing a lot on on, on the uh, the cutting edge of uh, fermented cuisine. Right,
4: and she published mm. uh, you know great cookbooks. I think that's available on Amazon, Amazon.com, Japan. Yeah, right. Too. Well, in,
3: in Japanese, she's, she's got about 10 books out. And, and in English, um, she has one book out. And, uh, and actually, we've been approached about doing another one. So mm. hopefully next time I'm on your show, I'll be able to, to sure. give you more information about
4: Certainly. that. Certainly. Right. So um, so the information about Brunsfield. that's uh, dot um, jpcom yeah, that's right. right. So, bronsfield-jp.com. Then uh, you can visit and stay. Maybe. Yeah.
3: And let me tell you what we're doing now. Sure. Our, our house next door that uh, we we just got last year, where it's a two hundred year old thatched roof house. Oh wow. That uh, we're renovating uh, into the style that it it had been. Wow. And uh, where it'll it'll have a um, fireplace in the center of the main room. Mm. Uh, that people can sit around the uh, the fireplace right. and enjoy dinner. And That's uh,
4: called the ilori, like a special center with the whole family. Yeah, the, not the, just physically but mentally. And and
3: and there's something so meaningful about sitting around a fire hearth, mm. uh, a circle, sitting right. around the fire circle and uh, and eating. I mean, this is this is a tradition in Japan that goes back to prehistoric times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we, we miss that in our daily life, you know, of sitting nice. around tables to eat.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the campfire has a very special feeling, like surrounding fire, but you can yeah. do it every day at your new place.
3: Yeah. yeah.
4: Nice. Okay, so let's go to Brownsville. Is it ready? It's going to be ready next year, I think?
3: Um, we're going to have our, 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 our big opening uh, this uh, July, actually, just, just a month from now. Oh, wow. That's and, exciting. Uh, yeah, and um, it should be... Um, Really, you know, fully up and going by next, uh, okay. next spring.
4: Okay, well, let, let us know how it goes. We well, have
3: to come next time you're back in Japan.
4: I would love to. Mm-hmm. All right, so, um, so after all those years of tremendously interesting and deep experience in Japan, um, how do you describe your life in Japan right now?
3: Well, it, it, it hasn't changed in, in the sense that it's still endless discovery.
4: Mm. So, you never get tired of being in Japan.
3: I never get tired of being in Japan. <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, and um, it's, I, mean, I, I feel, it, you know, that it, life is just, you know, a continuing journey.
4: Hmm. Right. Well, that's, I have to remember that because you're busy and then you forget about discovering something new every day. Right? So, a lot, I think most of us in the modern world, mm-hmm. we're just busy, busy. And then take a break, and then the busy day begins next day the same yeah. way.
3: But you know, in a sense, I mean, I mean, New York itself. I mean, it's things are always popping up, disappearing, reappearing, popping up, <laughs> and I, you could probably even say the same thing about New York. Right. It, it is endless discovery.
4: Right. It's always like organically growing. Yeah, especially with the
3: restaurants.
4: Right. God. <laughs> oh. That is true.
3: I mean, every time I come, it's like it's there's, there's a new revelation.
4: Mm-hmm. But it's not just a, a single restaurant, but I think people's mindset, quickly reflecting what kind of establishments.
3: Yes. We're really, we're really, I mean, this is such an exciting time in food Mm. culture.
4: Right. Okay. So uh, this is my last question. So uh, for listeners, uh, what would you suggest when they visit Japan? Like, you know, what they should do, how they should look at things that they come across?
3: Well, I think what I would recommend is, you know, it's, you know, a lot of people go to Tokyo, they go to Kyoto, you've got to see the uh, you know, click off the, the famous sites and all. But once you've done that is get out in the countryside mm. without an agenda.
1: Right.
3: You know, if you're if you're adventuresome, rent a car and just just go. Mm. Because there I mean as I say, I mean there there's there's, there's these Landscapes that are full mm. of memories, right. and and it doesn't take much to to feel to feel some special
4: mm. atmosphere right. in
3: these places.
4: So I think the memories means uh, the past, kind of being forgotten, but the, the past flowing into uh, current life. That's yeah. the memories that you can discover, and
3: it's still with us. Mm. So in a sense, I mean, Japan is and always has been a place for time travel.
4: Mm. Right. I think, you know, almost daily, like, modern, or, like, you know, if you go to 7-Eleven, mm. you can still find a lot of pieces of uh, tradition, like, you know, bento box to, you know, certain equipment. Like,
3: Isn't it amazing? I mean, you know, that you go into a, into a convenience store, and, and there's something there from, from the season. It's mm-hmm. very much, you know, they, 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 they honor the seasonal right. tradition. <laughs> you know, so you can go in in and, and, and the autumn and, uh, and, you know, have like shiitake or, or matsutake mushroom mm-hmm. uh, box lunches.
4: Right. So, <laughs> so true. Oh, it's amazing. Right. Yeah, there's so many things to discover. I, I, I'm reminded by you, so. Right. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us today, right?
3: Oh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, please you. come
4: back. Okay. All right, so listeners, if you're interested in Everett's work, uh, please visit uh, Modern Classic JP. Um, and for Brownsfield, go to uh, brownsfield-jp.com. Uh, and if you have any questions or comments about the show, please contact us at heritagevideonetwork.org. And you can sign up for our newsletter to get fun updates and event information at the bottom of the homepage. Japan News is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at org, iTunes, and Stitcher Podcast. And today's show was made possible by Itoen, and our engineer is De- David Tadasiore. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.